Hi, Sean here. Before we get into this week's episode, a very quick thank you for listening to The Expansive. Please consider subscribing to the show if you haven't done so already. Simply hit the follow button inside the player you're currently listening on. If you happen to be listening on Spotify, scroll down to the Q&A section and let us know what you thought of this episode. You can also engage with us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok. Simply search for The Expansive Podcast and follow along. You can also watch this episode on our YouTube channel. You can find the links to all of this in the show notes. You're about to listen to episode 177 of The Expansive Podcast, hosted by Eric Kruger and John Sonnet. Welcome to The Expansive Podcast, where we explore the frontiers of personal growth, business innovation, and technology. We believe that growth and progress come from expanding our minds, exploring new possibilities, and embracing change. Welcome to this week's pod. We are super excited to be with you again. Always joined by my puffy-faced, double-chinned Eric Kruger, my <laughs> podcast co-host. Uh, what's happening, bro? What when happened is to your that now? When bro? is that now? When is that now? I think I, because you can just see a bit more chin. Now you go double chin. No, well, I, I, that, your wife is that kind your of. Your wife was telling me that she's not calling well, you double chin I, Kruger. I don't know. I feel, so like, I, was, I feel like I was confiding you in confidentiality, <laughs> and then you decide to just blurt it out in front of thousands of people. Do you remember what you said about my hair two weeks, two years ago? It's just payback, bro. Yeah, but, it's that, but payback. That's, just, that's just hair. It's payback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, what do they say? Um, I can cut my hair, you ugly. You know, that's what Listen, they say. I, think, yeah. I just think that um, in a friendship, there's a certain level of confidentiality that needs to be maintained. And I, I probably need to send over some sort of NDA <laughs> to you at this point because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get something drafted by ChatGPT a bit later today. Yeah, and okay, no problem. Um, yeah. Okay, double chin, Eric Kruger. What's happening? <laughs> what, what's happening down there in Cape Town? Hey, dude. Yeah, all good. Um, busy, nice weather today for a change. We've been uh, being rained out the entire time. Uh, but today, get to play a bit of pedal, do some webinars, do a podcast recording with... Uh, I think Tolu in in London today, so that's going to be cool. What? You're on another podcast. Yeah, I'm on Are tons of other me, podcasts. Yes, Dude, I mean, I'm just I'm just on, spreading the word. Just, yeah, but all of you a know, sudden I'm, I'm it's like I thought the word. we had a deal that it was only podcast together. Um, I think the podcast well, world was supposed to be a partnership. Just, just let me know, you know, how are you spreading the word about the expansive? Every time I get on stage, to me, I introduce. I am part of the expansion. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I just yes, don't feel like yes. it's enough. I think it's you could be enough. doing a, okay. a lot more. Okay, okay. So, anyways, I'm, I'm going on to other pods to spread the <laughs> word about the expansive. Right in front of my face. Bringing it's like people a slap. to us. Bringing oh, people to okay, us. Okay, you know? okay, okay. I'm, I'm giving them a taste of what the expansive is about. Wait, when are we winning that award? Is it tonight? Tomorrow? It should be Saturday, actually. Oh, Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, we're going to be award winning. Podcast. Yes. Can't wait okay. for that. Uh, what's been happening on your side? Yeah, good. Thank you. Uh, last few days in South Africa, um, on my way to Miami on Monday, really looking forward to it as Singularity Camp. And uh, I'm going to be listening to some really, really smart people around courage, blockchain, Bitcoin, AI, and I'll be doing a talk on uh, the evolution of the human being in order to be able to deal with the, what's coming, uh, which has become kind of my niche at the moment. 
Um, so yeah, just looking forward to that. And then Vegas after that. And actually right now I'm booking some places in Sedona Valley, um, which is near, uh, not near, is in Arizona. So I'm going to be doing that for a bit. So yeah, all good, busy, happy, and uh, happy to be in this pod with you. And uh, we got an exciting topic today, uh, something that comes from Sam Altman. And if you all don't know who Sam Altman is, you've definitely used these products and uh, he has touched your life in one way or another. Uh, an incredibly successful man, um, in fact, at a very young age, was put into the same category as the greats, like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. And so this guy is just next level. Um, my friend Sean uh, McKenna once said to me, it's funny that his name is Sam Altman, alternate to man. And he opened and started OpenAI, which is an alternative to man. So it's almost like his name is telling us yeah. that he's creating an alternative to man. So Sam Altman has written this great email, uh, not email, he's written this blog post about how to be successful. And uh, very interesting, but also quite simple and basic, but also very interesting. We're going to unpack it in this pod. What, what I loved about this is, so he wrote this a few years before OpenAI and before OpenAI became a big thing. Um, Sam Altman is currently 38 years old. OpenAI, so uh, like John was saying, OpenAI has ChatGPT as consumer-facing and also Dolly, which is similar to MidJourney, so it's image generation, text-to-image generation. Uh, 38 years old, OpenAI is valued at $30 billion, obviously with a, a big investment coming from Microsoft. And Sam Altman himself is some, valued somewhere between $500 and $700 million at 38. So... I think, you know, when, when he talks about what success looks like, it feels like it's coming from a, you know, someone you can trust and listen to. And, you know, as I was reading this, the, the biggest feeling I actually had was just, I, I hope this guy is legit and not in that the success that he's had, but I just hope that nothing comes out in a few years about how he's been schneying people or, you know, operating unethically because it feels to me like so much of that has been happening recently that we we see people who do amazing things and then it's not long before something is exposed, you know, some shady thing is being done. And I was watching, I don't know if you've seen, uh, there was recently a, a great documentary on SPF, Sam Bankman-Fried, um, who, who did the whole FTX thing. And, you know, in the moment, FTX seemed like this, incredible exchange, you know, doing amazing things in the Bitcoin space or in the crypto space. And then this whole deck of cards just came, house of cards just came tumbling down. And he was exposed for incredible fraud that he was uh, perpetrating through his, his businesses. And it's such a pity, man, because you see this young guy that's done so well, that's grafted so hard, that's, you know, changed an industry, but then comes... The ex, like the exposing on the backside of that. And I'm, I'm just hoping that Sam Altman is not that. Two things, two things, two things. He does look very genuine. He does. I mean, and he, looks, he, he looks like Peter seems, Pan. Yeah, yeah, but he, yeah, yeah, he just seems like Peter Pan. And he's been working around very, very influential people for years in different guises. And I think if that had come out, it would have come out by now. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is we're all human. Some have got more trauma than others. And if you think about Sam Bankman-Fried or Freed or whatever his name is, 
he looked like he had a lot of trauma when he was growing up, you know? And it's like an Elon Musk, it's almost like he's got deep trauma of being bullied or, and so that comes out in, in an ugly way. I Sam Altman looks like a Mormon to me. Like, you know, these Mormons, like in America, there's a lot of successful Mormons. I've got a very good friend here in Cape Town who's retired at nearly 40, Mormon. And they come from a very clean, systemized, like background. It's almost like, it's, there's no like dodginess there, you know? So, and he feels like that. It's weird. It, he does feel like that, but, but yeah, I think that's why, like that. so I think that's right. why I have this, uh, this desire for him uh, just to, yeah. because even when you, when you go and read this article, you know, he's, he talks about such incredible things. I would hate for that to be undone yes, at some fake. point right. because of, yeah. All right. So we, we, the article has 13 different principles for being successful um, I've sent it to you. We've looked at the different points and we'll go sort of one by one, talk about some of the ones that are interesting. We're not going to cover all of them. Um, so we can link to that in the show notes if someone wants to go and read a bit more. So I'll go first. The, the one that I highlighted first was have almost too much self-belief. So just again, this is about how to be successful. <laughs> and, and the reason why this actually touched the nerve for me is because I was sitting with a, a friend and an entrepreneur yesterday who said to me, that he feels he is almost um, engaging in self-delusion at this point because of the belief that he has in himself. And I said to him, you know, actually, when I think of many of the entrepreneurs and successful people that I deal with, it feels to me that they all have that to a certain extent, that they have so much self-belief that it's almost like they are operating in a different reality to what reality is. And so when I saw this, it really resonated for me with the conversation I had with him yesterday. And I, I wanted to quickly uh, read you something because I wrote about this in my email this morning. Um, so he said, self-belief must be balanced with self-awareness. I used to hate criticism of any sort and actively avoided it. Now I try to always listen to it with the assumption that it's true and then decide if I want to act on it or not. Truth-seeking is often hard and painful, but it is what separates self-belief from self-delusion. So self-belief is separated from self-delusion by actively seeking the truth about yourself. And then when I was just putting it into the context of leadership, I wrote, I love a confident leader, someone who can articulate their thoughts, opinions, views about leadership clearly, someone who stands and leads unashamedly. But I love it even more when that confidence is tempered with humility and vulnerability, a leader who seeks out and listens to feedback about their own behaviors and decisions. And that is the, the tightrope that you have to walk is that self-belief is a great attitude that propels you forward. But when it becomes self-delusion, at some point that might end very badly for you. And so the way that you temper that is to have the confidence, to have, have the belief, but to make sure that you have trusted voices around you that, that does this help you to navigate uh, where you are going and what you are doing. So that's my first one. Very good. Very good. I think, I think the thing is, is the loudest voice in your head must be one that's an encouraging voice to yourself. And whatever criticism you're getting from the outside, you still need to have the voice that's the loudest in the room inside your head, one that's encouraging. And I think what we do often is one, we totally ignore anybody on the outside because we're arrogant about it and we don't want to face anything. I think of Donald Trump like this because he's very disillusional. But look, I mean, he's done amazing things, although he's very unhappy. But still, I mean, he's, I mean, he's all over the world. I mean, he's just anyway, that's total self-delusion that 
that hasn't benefited many people except himself, but he's also not quite happy in it. But I think what happens to the rest of us is we allow other people's voices to mask our self-criticism and use their voices to confirm to the fact that we're not good enough or we don't have uh, the right credentials to be here, whatever the case may be, right? So I think it's, 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 it's important to take that criticism, but also to have a board of voices inside your head that are always looking at an encouraging uh, conversation within yourself. And we've spoken about this on the pod and it's, it's really been helpful to me because I keep coming back to the fact that I am good enough. I am who I am and that's enough. And, that's, and that practice of self-love, self-respect and self-trust has become quite pertinent and, and front-facing before taking on other people's criticisms. So I love this point. I do see there's a gray line because sometimes we think other people are too self-delusional, but actually they're doing amazing things and rocking, you know, and we know a few of these people ourselves. And so there's a fine line. And I think it's a practice that you need to develop within yourself. There is, yeah. Mm. Uh, what, I'll, what I'll also add to that is that uh, very often where that self-belief comes from is from having done the work. So you've put in the reps, uh, you've had the experience, you've had the wins, and so what all of that accumulates into is a certain level of intuition that you have. And so that, that self-belief, that heavy self-belief is actually just you relying more on your intuition than ever before. Uh, but I, I love what you said because I do think what's true for most people is that we operate with the voices of others in our heads instead of They're not even the voice of others. They're, yeah. The, the perception of the voices. The perception of the voice of others is yeah. what we do. We have an argument with somebody thinking that's what they will say to us, but actually it's our own insecurity projected back to us. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Next one. Okay, great. Next one. And the one that really stood out for me was make it easy to take risks. Mm. And I, I love this one because I had a very dear friend, one of my best friends, Sean Morgan, who passed away eight years ago. And he made a lot of money in a very young age, highly, highly like intellectual, um, and was a CFO of publicly listed companies by the time he was in his early, early thirties. So it shows, I mean, he was really out there. He was doing really well, but he had a very clear, uh, life motto. And he always used to say to me, John, and we take, this is the 10 years ago, right? Or even 15 years ago, he used to say to me, John, 50 grand life, 50 grand life, 50, that was his motto, 50 grand life. And I used to drive an M3 convertible and I had a big house in Bryanston and had all these trappings of success. And he used to have a nondescript car, a very chilled lifestyle, but had millions. And I couldn't understand this. So you say 50K life is your, your expenses? Are you, so, are you, so yeah, exactly. Okay. So what he was he used to always say to me, he's like, John, cut all your expenses, have cash in the bank and have freedom of movement. And this is exactly the opposite of what I was doing 15 years ago. I had a multi-million rand house, a multi-million rand cars, trapped into this monthly expenses of showing off my wealth or perceived wealth. And I always say that I was an excellent Joe Burger, you know? That's what Joe yeah. Burger's about. It's like I was <laughs> like flaunted before you have it. And um, obviously it all came crashing down. But now that I'm in close to 50, I have, I wouldn't say it's a 50 grand life because obviously inflation has changed that, but keep things simple, keep things basic, 
Don't have debits coming off your account like you're going to die. Don't just cut your expenses. You don't need that much stuff. And when you're able to break it down into a very simplistic lifestyle, you're able to take better risks. You're able to be more open to new opportunities. And right now I find myself in a very, very easy way to take risks. I can go live in the States. I can go live in Dubai. I can go live in, I can go live anywhere right now, do any business, engage with any option. And I've got a bunch of them out there that are bubbling. And I love this point because make it easy to take risks. And if you look at Sam Altman, what's he doing? He's running around with a blue backpack, trainers, pants, and he just rocks up at meetings and interviews. Very simple, very to the point. And I was watching an interview with Dr. Beast the other day, and he rocked up into that uh, interview setup. I mean, Mr. Beast, he rocked up into the he rocked up into the interview wearing shorts and a t-shirt, and uh, he was. Uh, they were talking about him making like three, four hundred million dollars a month, and it's that. It's like he just doesn't even care. It's like it's irrelevant. It's just keep it light, keep it simple, and take risks. And I thought that was a really, really good point that Sam Altman had made. All right, so I, I like that. Uh, you know what it also reminds me of is uh, anti-fragility. Because yes. there's, and we won't go into the whole thing about anti-fragility, but there's just, there's a saying that I remember from my talk when I was giving it, which is, um, it comes from the military. They go, one is none and two is one. And it's just this idea that if you, uh, you know, if you carry one clicker with you into a talk and that clicker breaks, you are done, right? Like what, what are you going to do? Whereas if you have a backup, then there's a bit of uh, safety and security that comes with that. And I think it's the same principle here is that when you have built buffer into your life, it allows you to take additional risk. Whereas when you have no buffer, obviously the, the one thing you do wrong, it, it breaks you. Um, it, it makes it very difficult to recover from that. And so people need to work on both sides. They need to work on the buffer side. But I actually think what what many people are missing is they're missing working on the risk side, that we get so complacent with just how things are going that we actually stop taking risks. And a big challenge for that is that often the risk feels very big, whereas there are many small bets that you can actually make. Um, you just need to change your mindset around that. And the way that he was talking about it is that you can you need to look for that, that small bet that if you fail, you lose once, but if you win, you win a hundred times. And so what does that look like? It might look like starting a side hustle. Um, it might look like launching some sort of a minimum viable product. You know, It might be starting to create digital products online, selling a course. There are so many small bets you can take. And if they pay off, they might pay off really well at the end. Um, but I think for most people, complacency actually prevents them from taking any risk at all. I like that. But what it reminded me of is having emotional buffer as well. Yeah. And if you think about it, when you've stretched yourself financially to the end and your time to the end, you don't have time, you don't have time or money to risk, but most importantly, you don't have the emotional bandwidth mm. to do anything new. Great. Angle, and I often yeah. think of road rage, right? Like road rage has nothing to do with the road. It's the lack of emotional bandwidth that you have exhausted yourself and fatigued yourself emotionally. So when road rage happens, it's your place to want to blow that steam out. And so I think this lends itself, this is what meditation does, right? It gives you a buffer of emotions. It disengages you from the high pressure, high beta, and gives you that space to deal with things in a calm way. So 
yeah, taking risk is not just a financial thing. It's actually an yeah, emotional, like emotional currency that, that we need to be thinking about as well. Yeah. Great angle. Yeah. Very good. All right. Uh, next one. So the next one I, I chose was get good at sales. Uh, the best way to be good at sales is to genuinely believe in what you're selling. Selling what you truly believe in feels great and not like uh, selling snake oil. And the reason I chose this is because we are all in sales all the time. You know, whether you are trying to sell an idea to someone, whether you're trying to sell a product to someone. But most importantly these days is that when you are trying to sell yourself, and we've obviously seen this big shift happen over the past few years where personal brands have, in a way, become more important than the company brand. And so, you know, we think of Elon Musk before we think of SpaceX. Uh, we think of Bill Gates. We think of uh, Steve Jobs. You know, all these. Messi. Yeah, all, Messi, Ronaldo. yeah. I mean, what a great yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, all these personal brands uh, build the business and almost not vice versa. And so in the world we live in, where uh, you are on display all the time, you need to think about how you are selling yourself. And there are, there are two things to think about. One is, what does the process of that look like? So, you know, over the years, obviously, we've done a lot of putting effort into our personal brands, both from a design point of view, from a content point of view, different contents, you know, like different formats. Like if you go and look for any of our content online, you'll find a plethora, like a whole ecosystem of things to dive into. And that's just been continuous investment into our personal brand so that by the time people actually speak to us, they, they kind of know us. They, they know what we think and how we think about the world. And so it makes any sale post that conversation so much easier. So there's that, there's that aspect of it. But then also, you know, something I've, I've noticed with many professionals specifically is that they have a very hard time marketing themselves because mm. they always feel like they don't want to engage in self-promotion. Mm. Mm. They, they feel kind of scummy for doing that. And my mom was actually a great example of that. She's this brilliant psychologist. Um, and she has, fortunately, she has a thriving practice that is like overbooked, but she's never wanted to write content or do ads or do any of that because she's like, she doesn't want to self-promote. And I think there's a, a limiting, it, it limits your reach. And if you have something that can solve a problem for someone else, then with you, by you withholding that information from them or not putting it out into the world, you're actually doing them a disservice, um, which I think has always been an important mindset shift for, for professionals to make. Well, I think there's two things there. One, some people just aren't personally or their personality doesn't lend itself to that. So I know some people that just can't do it personality wise, but I also think that it's an age thing because if you think about people in that age group, you were always told, don't be a show off. Don't think you're too clever. Fit into the system. Stop trying to spit out, like calm down. Like, and that was the messaging that we had 30, 40 years ago, you know, like fit into the schooling system. Today, it's about fitting out the system and who does it better than Americans? I mean, Americans are way out there, so confident, so pushing themselves and they don't see it as self-promotion. This is just how they show up. This is what you need to do to stand out in that huge market, you know? So yeah, I think um, learning how to sell and selling something you love, it, then it becomes quite a natural thing, right? I do often bump into these TikToks about sales guys and what you must do when you're selling. And you must never use this term or that term. I'm not yeah. following up. I'm doing 
And I look at this and I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, it is a nightmare. Imagine sitting in an office with that and being trained to do that, selling property or I don't know, what some other crap that you don't really have any passion for, but you have to. And now you're building a persona of the salesperson. I think the problem with those TikToks is that they, yeah, they also, they, they position sales as this thing that must be done instead of just a natural exchange of value. And so when I listen to those conversations, obviously, like what it feels to me is that you are trying your best to persuade me. Yeah, like you have to use as much verbal jujitsu as possible yeah. to like, yeah, to like get me over the line. And like the moment it's that, it's actually that salesperson that we all hate. Hate. Whereas, yeah, whereas when there's a very natural conversation about an exchange of value, sales is easy. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So, but I, I like it because I think ultimately um, everything in life is sales. So we are always trying to sell people on something. And even though you shouldn't be speaking the language of sales, um, you should be good at speaking the language of whatever it is that you are curious about and interested in. And that's why when you listen to, I've always thought this, you know, when you listen to a public speaker or a keynote speaker, the reason they are so convincing is because They've spoken about these things so often that if you ask them a question, it's so well articulated, you can hear that they've thought about it. And therefore that convinces you because it's just well put together. And that's all you need to do is be interested in what you're interested in. Take some time to, to piece it together so you can articulate it better and then just talk to the world about it. You don't have to sell them. You have to convince on. them. Yes. That is, if, you, yes. if you're yeah, ever yeah. trying to convince somebody, you don't believe it yourself. This is what like super yeah. religious people do. Like, they, you got to listen. This is the way. You're like, dude, no, actually I don't. Uh, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm not trying to, <laughs> I, and, and this is what I always find weird is like, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just telling you what I've done. You do what you do. Like, whatever. I used to end my talks many years ago with a slide that said, and all of what I've just said is your incredible privilege of choice to engage with yeah. or not. That's also okay. You don't have to engage with what I'm saying. Mm. Okay. So very good. Cool. I like that one. Next. So mine is a combo. The next one is a combo of be hard to compete with and build a network. And so what he says is, you know, you need a uniqueness about you. And I think it's this uniqueness that I wrote about in my third book, Foresight, around how our job in life is to find the, the, the golden um, thread and the invisible dots that we can connect personally that nobody else can. This becomes our only job in a world of commoditized services and intelligence. And so what makes you stand out is your unique factor of combining many different, I suppose, like modalities and ideas into one thing. And for me, I always use myself as an example is because nobody else I know is combining business strategy, futurism, psychology, and neuroscience. It's like, it's a very unique mix because it's what I'm truly interested in and fascinated in and what I read all the time. So this makes me stand out. But then it's in this standing out that you can become a very, very good networker, not by trying to sell your uniqueness, but allowing other people to benefit from your uniqueness and to connect the dots for them that they haven't quite seen yet. And I love the fact that he talks about that three of his four major deals in his life have come from him doing something kind and unique for somebody years ago that come into fruition many years later because of his ability to 
have accessed his uniqueness and then understood the skill of networking, of adding value without counting, and then allowing that to look after itself. I mean, it's a very conscientious, mature, like just a very, like a mensch, you know, like in the, in the Yiddish, they call it a mensch. It's like, you know, you're just doing things for the greater good. And that always comes back, you know, and I've also felt that in my life and it's a constant practice for me to go, well, am I more confident in myself? I have my own voice. I'm not trying to pers persuade anybody, but all I'm doing is sharing my uniqueness and also being abundantly generous with it and trying to help as many people as I can for no cost. But eventually that comes around and eventually that pays you back. But that's not really why you're doing it because you've accessed your genius and you know it's an endless stream of creativity and energy. And in that understanding, you become generous with the sharing of it and then build a network around it. Mm. Yeah, obviously, you know, the, the network one really speaks to me um, because like he says, every, every, all great work requires teams. And when you, well, uh, in, in that piece, he, he talks about two heuristics, sort of like, how, how do you know how to hire people or who to hire? And the one question he asks that I love is, um, is this person a force of nature? Yeah, Ooh, I love a, a that. Great, that's great. Oh, that is and so then, good. Yeah. And then the second was that you want to hire people that have different skills to you, which is mm. something we, we talk about all the time, but I don't see it that often in practice. Often what I see in practice is that uh, a team is just the, the same person multiplied five or six times over. Yeah. And of course, that doesn't yield much benefit. When we talk about diversity in teams, you know, it, it's diversity at various different levels um, from race to how people are thinking, you know. And so you want diversity because ultimately it gives you the most uh, amount of uh, angles on a yeah. problem or on, a, on a, a goal that you are trying to achieve. And when I was speaking to this, this uh, friend yesterday, we actually spoke about that as well, is that the reason why things are working out in his business is because he's second in charge. is totally different from him. He is very unstructured. The other guy is very structured. He's very good at planning and big picture and where we need to go. Other guy is great at execution. Mm. And I heard when Rowan spoke to us, I think he also mentioned something along those lines. He spoke about um, an integrator. Remember, I'm trying to remember what the two were, but it was kind of like the, the visionary, the, the person seeing the, the thing, and then the integrator, which is... Scrum off and executes. fly off, bro. Yeah, yeah but the, you need somebody in the scrum and somebody's actually getting the line going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I remember also at some point talking a lot about, you know, we have transformational and transactional leadership. Transactional. And transformational right. leadership is often, you know, big picture. What does the transformation look like? Transactional is let's get into it, hold people accountable, do the stuff that must be done. Um. Also to your point, I think what when we think about network, so a team is obviously a network of people, but in your the way that you articulated it is that also we have to think about the broader network that we service. Yeah. And if you want to be a good collaborator, there's overlap between how you show up in a team versus how you show up in a network. But I think in a team, what you are really thinking about is how do I become a good team player, which is how do I contribute uh, my skills to the team and how do I become a good team member, which is how do I help the team accomplish the mission of the team? Mm -hmm. Whereas in a network, what you're really thinking about is how can I be as generous as possible to serve the people in my network? Mm. Um, it's a different, it, it, it's the same mindset, but it's a different approach. Um, but I quite like the distinction between uh, how do you show up in a team versus how you show up in a network as a collaborator. Mm. 
Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. I like that difference. Yeah. Mm. But uh, it's becoming more and more apparent that kindness is a currency, not counting is elegant and showing up in that conscientious way. People are watching you, you know, they, they're watching online, they're watching you in life, they're watching what you're doing. It's a small nuances of how people build trust with you. And it's just such a, it's such a skill, you know, and I've got these new friends in the States and watching them operate. It's just so, they're so unique in the way they go about it. Very different to where I come from. And I, I often tell them I'm learning so much just from the way you build community and the way you engage with people and your long-term vision. They have a very different approach. And it almost feels like in America, like maybe in Scandinavian countries, everything's looked after. As in, you have a safety net and you you approach life differently. You know, and a lot of my visualizations in my meditations, like, how would you feel if you had $10 million in the bank account? Like, how would you approach life? Like, come from that level of experience where you don't feel like you have to operate, otherwise you're not going to eat or you have to network, like come on a state of everything's looked after. And I think the advantage that many people have in these first world countries with lots of backup and wealthy parents, and you just have a very calm approach. And I think it's about practicing that calmer approach, even if you don't have it, having a sense of relief and having a sense of generosity and allow that to become the frequency that you start to push out and project into the world. And so even if you don't have it, it's a great practice and then by that practice, you create the behavior and the reality from that, you know? So you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very conscientious and elegant blog post. But then obviously it comes from a very advantageous process, you know what I mean? And an advantageous culture. So it, it's good to watch, but it's also good to practice and, and, and that behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like you said, at the, at the outset, you know, one of the obvious things about this blog post is that it's, it's, not, it's nothing new. You know, but I think I think that's always what successful people do well is they do the basics consistently over time. Whereas people who don't make progress are the ones always trying a new shortcut. And ultimately, what you end up learning is that the long way there is the short way. Is there. the shortcut. Uh, so mm. yeah. So I think um, go and read this blog post because it it contains just uh, truths about the world that aren't changing. Uh, this will be as true today as it is going to be in the next 20 or 30 years. That we need to, to um, build networks of people, that you need to work hard, that you need to be good at sales. Uh, you know, all of the these lines, things will Eric, remain true. No, one of the lines yeah. was work hard until you get lucky. Yes. And uh, yes. I, I, I love that. And I, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go speak for NASA, right, in three weeks. And people are like, wow, it's amazing. You're speaking for NASA. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't even know how it arrived. I've just been doing what I'm doing. And by some luck, somebody saw me in some audience who's friends with the vice president of NASA. And like, dut, 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 dut. okay, now I'm speaking for NASA. Is that lucky? Um, yes, I think it's very lucky. Did I do hard work to get there? Absolutely, I did. But, you know, I'm luckier and luckier the harder I work. Um, yeah, so just for those who don't know, NASA is uh, the naughty association NASA. of South Africa. So it's, it's, I mean, they're fortunate to have you. They, they, sorry, I, I know they're very excited to have you. Um, your talk is going to be riveting. You came up with naughty. <laughs> you came up with naughty. Is that the best you can do, Eric? Naughty uh, with that vocab that, of that yours. That is not mine. That is just what the associate, I, I mean, I would have chosen it. Oh, I would have chosen oh, a better name. Are you an, I would have chosen something better. Oh, yeah. so 
Oh, this okay. is just so it's not NASA in Florida. No. This is NASA in South Africa. Oh, yes. okay. The sorry, one that you're sorry. speaking for. Yes. Um, the one yes, I'm speaking yes. for. So what am I doing? Am I zooming in when I'm in Florida? Am I zooming back to South Africa for the Dude, Doty I don't know, Association? I don't know how you organized your life. You somehow obviously got it mixed up. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Mixed up, exactly. Listen, uh, anyway, thank you. That was a good, that was a good yeah, one. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I mean, it's not a good one. It's just reality, but thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Listen, so yeah, thank you very much. Um, and as always, thank you for listening to the pod. It's always great to have you with us. Hopefully by the next time you listen to this, you, you've been on this journey with us. So you either know whether we're going to be an award-winning or just continue to be an award-nominated pod. Um, Look, if we introduce <laughs> the pod next week as still an award-nominated <laughs> podcast, it means you know. we didn't win. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or yeah. we might just not mention it ever again. Ever again. A sore yes. point. So let's see. Okay. Uh, ever again. But yeah. thank you for listening to the pod. We appreciate your time, your effort, your attention, and we hope that you've taken something valuable from this. Uh, please share it with friends, uh, share it with your colleagues if you think that there's value in it for them listening to it as well. And as always, we love hearing from you on reviews. Easiest way to do that is Spotify or iTunes. Until next time, be expansive. Ciao. Hold up, before you go anyway, the APVA Awards for 2023 by AfriPods took place on Saturday, the 23rd of September, just days after the episode you've just listened to was recorded. And this is what happened. The Muggle of the Year is Eric Kruger and John Sané. Hi, my name is Eric Kruger, and on behalf of myself and my co-host, John Sane, here at The Expansive Podcast, we want to say thank you for this incredible award in the career and entrepreneurship category. We are deeply grateful to be recognized in this way, and even more grateful for everyone who took the time to cast a vote, everyone who tunes in every single week as we talk about how we can be more expansive in how we build businesses and build careers in these modern times. Of course, a big thank you as well to the African Podcast and Voice Awards team. Thank you for your effort. Thank you for recognizing African born and bred podcasts that are making waves internationally. There you have it. It's official. The Expansive is an award-winning podcast. As Eric said, a massive thank you to the APVA for the acknowledgement and for the contribution that all of the nominees are making towards the industry. And of course, a massive thank you to you for casting your vote and for lending us your ears every single week. Until the next episode, stay expansive.